0: Thank you, Andrew, for agreeing to this interview today. As you say in the the short uh, introduction to the talk that you're doing, the CBRL, next week, all too often the history of Arab democracy is considered one of failure and absence, but it would seem from your work um, and also what you're doing now in the current book, that you're looking to um, deconstruct that that you would contest that that narrative that story that seems to be prevalent in um, in most in, I would say most of the, the west shall we say so can you describe sort of your your sort of journey uh, towards um, your current book topic and any publications? or factors that have contributed to taking this as a central topic on the way? Yeah. And, sorry, this is a multiple questions and why this period in particular?
1: Yeah, no, thanks a lot, um, thanks a lot, Carol. I think, um, so the, the book that I'm working on at the minute is a book for the general public, a sort of trade book um, on the history of the uh, Arab world in the 20th century, um, roughly from, the 1908 Ottoman constitutional revolution through to the 2011 uh, Arab uprisings and their wake. Um, and it's really trying to look again at the history of the Arab world uh, in the 20th century uh, by looking at a series of moments of revolutionary upheaval and political possibility, uh, looking at political ideas, uh, a political debate, and looking at social movements and social participation. Um, so, trying to challenge some of the, you know, maybe more uh, commonplace uh, assumptions or ideas about uh, the Levant, uh, in particular, but also more broadly the Arab world, um, uh, you know, from North Africa through to, to Iraq, um, and and really trying to show the extent to which, kind of across this period, uh, people across the region, um, in the Levant but also elsewhere, uh, engaged in very lively. Uh, debates around questions of political representation, political participation, what the state meant, what sovereignty meant, what the nation meant, what citizenship meant, um, and um, the extent to which they kind of took seriously uh, these ideas and uh, invested uh, meaning and energy uh, in them. So that's really um, where I'm coming from. And I've been interested in these ideas for a a long time. I mean, going all the way back to when I was an undergrad in in history and thinking about the late Ottoman period. But over the course of uh, my career, I've sort of um, focused on the history of the Levant and of Lebanon in particular, um, looking at the Lebanese diaspora uh, in West Africa uh, and and elsewhere. Um, So my first book was on the history of Lebanese migrants in colonial French West Africa in the early 20th century. uh, And then also at Lebanon's more recent history. Uh, So my second book was on Lebanon after 2005, after the assassination of the former prime minister, Rafi al-Hariri um and the sort of set of political and social events that that uh, set in train uh, all the way through to 2019 um and the the october revolution of, of 2019 um so in some ways i've always been interested in uh, the interaction between um you know the people at large and and politics and the ways in which people make sense of their circumstances their social and economic and political circumstances uh, and the ways in which they try to find uh, spaces for debate and spaces for participation and that's sort of you know what has led me into into uh, my current book project and um, and this talk um, and then also just to say briefly I mean that I think uh, I'm not alone in taking interest in these questions um, you know when we were having a conversation earlier you, you mentioned um, a couple of broader collaborative projects um, one of those is Istimab which is kind of run between Berlin and um, um, and some other institutions uh, by Nora Laffey and others, um, and uh, you know, considering the historic- historicity of uh, democracy uh, and kind of revisiting earlier moments of uh, parliamentary life, uh, you know, elections, political debates, uh, and the like, all the way through kind of the, the, the late 19th and 20th century uh, history of the Levant and, and the Arab world. Uh, so there's a host of scholars who are increasingly interested in these questions. People like Metzouri, uh, writing in, in French but also in English, on um, actually on this period, kind of on the 30s through the 60s in in Iraq and Syria, uh, but also somebody like Max Weiss, looking at the intellectual history of the region, uh, the intellectual history of Syria in particular, and trying to look again at um, Baathist thoughts in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, so those are just a couple of the scholars who are interested in these questions, but there are many more who are increasingly interested in. Uh, questions of of political life and in particular popular political life and also uh, questions of political thought um, and the ways in which different social and political actors you know intellectuals politicians uh, statesmen uh journalists um you know uh, women's activists and feminists thought about politics and about political participation um, and, and yeah how they defined and debated political ideas
0: thank you that's that's a great introduction and overview and context to the the broader debates as well as um, as well as your own your own projects which um, it's interesting that you're being asked to (laughs) to write a general a general history too Um, so there's some um, I guess attempt or there's some Desire to want to um, understand or know, especially the Levant, um, better. I suppose it speaks to me at CBRL because one of the things we often say we're doing is is trying to um, make a very misunderstood region better known and um, and better understood. So um, that's it's really timely and apposite. Thank you. So can I just ask you to explain more about um, why this period, why 1936 to 1958? And if, from what I've understood what you said, your your book is focusing on particular moments, um, um, if you can maybe pick out um, a couple um, and just explain it to us in brief now as examples.
1: Yeah, no, of course. Um, I mean, I think so that the, the paper focuses in on the period 1936, to 1958. But I think what I'll try and do um, without going on too long is is actually to set that period within a broader uh, context and kind of retrace some of the earlier moments of political uh, participation, political debate, that, in some ways feed into that period, uh, 36 to 58. It's kind of looking, for instance, at uh, late Ottoman um, debates around um, constitutionalism and parliamentarianism and this very robust tradition of anti-despotic thought uh, in the region, in the Levant in particular, in in greater Syria. Um, And kind of that moment in 1919 when, um, you know, Lebanese but also Syrian nationalists kind of state their claims and demanded uh, independence and self-determination at the Paris Peace Conference Um, and and the ways in which they they kind of thought about uh, ideas of democracy and of political participation and of uh representation and sovereignty. Um so drawing on the work of somebody like Elizabeth Thompson, like Libby Thompson, who's written recently um about this very well. Um but why 36 to 58? Um so partly it's an attempt to kind of think about the Levant uh as a region, as a kind of, you know, um as a set of uh territorial nation states but interlinked uh you know their political elites but also broader publics very much kind of interconnected in, in this period in the mid-20th century um, 36 is a moment of great political upheaval in the levant uh, of course uh, it's the beginnings of the palestinian uh, great revolt this moment of great political uh, popular political participation uh, and contestation of the mandate system the colonial system um, but it's also a moment of general strikes uh, in lebanon and in syria it's a moment when um, publics in lebanon and in syria begin to rally Against uh, French uh, mandate rule. Um, And when Lebanese and Syrian political elites engage in negotiation with uh, France uh, over the terms of the mandate and kind of moving towards uh, independence. Um, So that's why I try and start in 36, uh, 58, um, because it's a moment in some ways um, of rupture. Um, It's a moment of rupture partly because of the creation of the United Arab Republic uh, when Syria and, and Egypt joined together in a single federal state, um, and that union only lasts three years till 61, but it, it marks a particular kind of moment of, of change. Uh, but also, it's, um, as many scholars have pointed out, um, You know, Roger Owen, um, more recently Jeffrey Gadam and, and others, uh, 58 is a moment of revolutionary upheaval across the Levant. Uh, in Lebanon, uh, there's a short civil war kind of um, very much driven by the ideologies of the time, um, pan-arabism anti-colonialism uh, and the like um in Sir- in egypt as well kind of you know, um sorry in iraq as well um a moment of revolution topples the monarchy um free officers come to power you know on attempting to emulate the egyptian president of 52 yeah um so yeah. in some ways it, it seems um a moment of of um a moment where the paradigm shifts slightly um towards different ideas of kind of um a different vision of republican sovereignty uh, one that is much more modeled on uh, the egyptian model of the free officers Um, a a different way of envisioning the relationship between uh, the ruler and the ruled between the people and the state Um, whereas i think between 36 and 58 broadly speaking uh, across uh, much of the ideological spectrum um not across the entire board but there's a there's a consensus around ideas of let's say liberal democracy um so you kind of see can Arab nationalists, uh, Baathists, uh, Islamists—you uh, know—various kinds of political players—kind of embracing ideas of parliamentary representation, taking part in elections, um, you know, calling for constitutions, calling for much more direct political participation by the people uh, in the political system. So, thirty-six to fifty-eight is an interesting moment for for those reasons, I think.
0: Thank you. Yes, certainly. And so, the book that you're well, you're writing is is covering from um, late Ottoman right up to 2011. And this is is a sort of segment of it, which is 1936 to 58. So towards the end of the mandates um, and when things were really uh, falling apart and then sort of well into the post-Second World War period when again, things were, were shifting. just sort of listening to you very much looking at um internal um internal movements but but how much especially thinking about the way the world shifted and turned around um, after after the uh, second world war how much did outside forces i'm thinking of um, yes communism the ussr the west how much did did that in the latter period um, influence um, some of the events that you're describing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I think maybe one of the things that I'm trying to do in the book is um, not to uh, not to discount uh, those kind of broader geopolitical forces, um, you know, imperialism and decolonisation um, or um, the Arab Cold, oh, sorry, the Global Cold War, um, and this kind of great power rivalry and contest uh, and tension between the U.S. and the USSR in the 40s and 50s. Um, I think you know those are incredibly important considerations for the historian, but they're also incredibly important, uh, you know, um, for the historical actors of the time, um, you know, who saw themselves as um, attempting to push back against you know colonial or imperial encroachments upon uh, their sovereignty. Uh, But who also attempting to navigate, you know, in the 40s and 50s are attempting to navigate this new Cold War world and trying to envision ways of maybe escaping um, the trap of of alignment, you know, not wanting to be drawn into, um, you know, into alliance with the United States, um, but equally not necessarily wanting to be drawn into alliance with the USSR and the Soviet bloc. Um, So, you know, so the 50s are the heyday, the 50s and 60s are the heyday of ideas of non-alignment and third worldism um as a moment of attempting to think about um potentially creating a new kind of global order um one that kind of you know um moves beyond that transcends the inequalities of colonialism and of imperialism uh but that equally is not simply defined by this binary uh great geopolitical rivalry between that's emerging between the us and the ussr in this period um, so uh, egypt is a key player in this story but equally in the 40s and 50s um you know the states of the levant um you know lebanon syria Jordan, Iraq, some of these are, you know, they're all key players in the early years of the United Nations. Um, you know, they're, they're some of the first independent states from the what we now call the Global South, from Africa and Asia, uh, in the debates on Palestine and um, Britain's withdrawal from Palestine, the end of the British Mandate in Palestine, but also more broadly uh, debates around issues of self-determination, of decolonization, Um those states um, play a a key role. I mean, that's not something that I'll necessarily say a great deal about uh, in the talk, but I think it's important to keep in mind that broader international story, the ways in which they're thinking about um, the world at large, thinking about the global order and very much participating in debates uh, within international forums, international institutions, on what shape this new world, um, this new post Second World War, post imperial world might potentially uh, uh, take. so that's one kind of yeah that that's one strand of the story very much.
0: Are there particular characters or individuals that you you feel comfortable would like to sort of pick out in this narrative? Um, yeah I'm obviously most having spent a lot, a lot of, part of my life associated with Jordan I'm most um familiar with with Jordan and I'm I'm always impressed <laughs> by uh, the individuals and the personalities who were, as you say, um, sent to the UN, um, who were taking part in, in debate, and um, and in Jordan, speaking from my, although it's sort of maybe not always um, uh, sort of known for how lively <laughs> the debate was and how contentious it was and how much it was sort of embraced at quite high levels to have this open debate that has become more fragile, shall we say, in recent years?
1: Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. And I think, um, I mean, there, there's a few uh, figures that come to mind, kind of intellectuals and, and party leaders. Um, you know, thinking about Syria, um, you know, the founders of the Ba'ath Party, for example, Michel Haflak and Salahuddin Bidar, um, Akram Khourani, the founder of the Arab Socialist Party, um, which later merges with the Ba'ath, Um, Those are figures who, at the time, are kind of trying to think through um, in ways that are perhaps less familiar to us than we think, um, to to think through um, ideas of freedom, ideas of liberty, um, ideas of pan-Arab unity, of sovereignty. Um, But I think what I'm also interested in doing is um, situating um, relatively well-known figures um, who've received a fair amount of scholarly attention, somebody like Aflac. Um, within uh broader sort of intellectual trends and social trends, and also in trying to think about party politics and the ways in which um, political parties in this period uh, begin to develop platforms and uh, begin to run uh, in elections on particular manifestos and particular platforms. Uh, so again, trying to kind of we think um, some of the maybe um, less well-founded narratives about this period that um, parties were simply vehicles for um, you know, the interests of a narrow uh, political elite kind of or financial and economic uh, elite in places like Lebanon or Syria. Um, I mean, I think there's some truth to that, uh, to that account, um, you know, of parties as, uh, vehicles for notables, uh, interests, but at the same time that there's an interesting way in which party politics develops in this period, uh, the ways in which people do kind of, um, take election you know, electoral campaigns and elections, uh, seriously. Um, and take ideas of representation seriously and are kind of running on ideas of reform of the electoral system, reform of the judicial system, strengthening of the parliamentary system, ideas of social justice or of development um, and those ideas run a gamut uh, there's not kind of you know there's not um, there's not uniformity or, or kind of um, absolute consensus but I think that's one thing that I'm interested in in looking at is kind of the extent to which in this period you do have the formation of political parties that have, but broadly share a consensus around the need to develop uh, the infrastructure of the newly uh, independent states and the need to strengthen and make more robust uh, parliamentary and political institutions but still kind of are engaged in yeah trying to define their positions against each other um so kind of you know the kind of participatory parliamentary politics that we don't necessarily associate with the levant but which i think was there in this period um so it's trying to kind of excavate that history and give a give people a sense of that
0: Um, and um to what extent we've talked about individuals and and their agency and parties to what extent um me, the common person i mean this is many identities um in the levant i'm sort of aware you know in in the in in palestine in, in 1936 the um, the Felahim, the peasantry had a Quite a role to play, and different uh, and different communities had certain um, alignments. Um, uh, minorities, you know, uh, the Christians, and, the, and the in in Palestine the Shia, in 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 Lebanon. To what extent um, is this also a movement or a discussion uh, beyond the elite, beyond some of those economic interests?
1: Oh, it, it absolutely is i mean if you take the case of lebanon um so a colleague um for example has written about the ways in which um the campaign for um women's suffrage for instance in these years um you know is very much driven from below by what we would now call i suppose civil society actors um you know long-standing um feminist organizations that have roots reaching back into the interwar years uh, but also in this period um you know joined by Uh, trade unionists, uh, as well as by uh, political parties, kind of, you know, by um, the rank and file actors within political parties. Um, And there's a kind of, um, you know, in thinking about confessional difference, there's an interesting story here, again, kind of maybe an unsettling or unfamiliar story, um, partly because of the consensus that emerges around the issue of women's suffrage in the late 40s or early 50s, more like in in Lebanon. and the ways in which uh, parties like the Falangists uh, and the Najedi, you know, so one Christian, uh, one thought of as primarily Christian, one thought of as primarily Sunni uh, Muslim, um, actually joined forces um, with trade unions and, and feminist groups uh, in this period to call for women's suffrage and to, you know, to kind of uh, to widen the definition of what democracy means and universal suffrage means in this period. Um, so absolutely, kind of, yeah, um, ordinary women and men. Um, are players in this story um, and you know a different in a number of different ways um, you know in civil society organizations and trade unions uh in political parties as well uh, and they're able to kind of put pressure on uh, and bring that pressure to bear on on uh, political elites
0: it's true again um, from from my experience that uh, that many of the trade unions and these societies are quite are quite powerful um, and continue and continue to, to be so and to to be listened to and many have um, sort of roots in the early state as well. I can I can certainly looking how things play out again today again in Jordan. I can see that too. So that's that's really fascinating. Tell us a little bit about. Salim Ali Salam, the member from Beirut, the Ottoman Parliament. I know you've used it as your image. Is there a particular reason?
1: Yeah, I mean partly I think it's deputy's ID card. Um, Salim Ali Salam's um, deputy ID card is is a really kind of visually striking image, and I mean in some ways it might be a bit of a a red herring because you know the the talk. I think I'll you know focus in on that period thirty six to fifty eight. But I think and this is from the you know, the years between 1908 and, and 1914, that second constitutional period uh, in the late Ottoman Empire. But I, I picked it partly because it's so striking, but partly also to gesture at this longer history of um, representative politics and kind of debates around um, ideas, of representation and, and democracy uh, in the region. So Selim Ali Salam is, um, you know, a member of a, a well known and still quite prominent uh, political uh, dynasty in Lebanon, um, in Beirut and in Lebanon. Um, and he was deputy for Beirut uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the in late Ottoman Empire. He was also kind of a member of Beirut's Municipal Council in this period. Um, so kind of, uh, so there's one way of kind of looking at this figure as, you know, um, the embodiment of elite notable politics in the Levant, um, you know, somebody from a relatively wealthy family, a family of, of high social status, um, you know, deriving their wealth from Uh, from trade uh, and Beirut's position within the global economy and the regional economy. Um, But there's also another way of of looking at him um, as, you know, one representative of um, a a tradition of kind of debating ideas of reform, uh, of economic, as well as social progress, uh, of trying to think through and puzzle through the relationship between uh, the state and society, between, um, you know, between uh, the state and citizens. And uh, trying to make a claim for kind of greater uh, representation and greater uh, political participation on the part of the, of the people. Because uh, he's involved in, in debates around attempting to um, ensure greater representation for the Ottoman Empire, Syrian provinces in the last years of the, of the Ottoman Empire. And then he and his kind of uh, descendants continue to play a part um, in debates around uh, independence and around kind of uh, the shape of the polity and the shape of political society in the thirties and forties and fifties. Um, so, I mean, yeah, but it's just, it's quite a visually arresting image, I think.
0: Absolutely. Um, and, it, and, yeah. and he can he, he continued um, after the end of the Ottoman uh, parliament, he continued in active political life.
1: Yeah, um, like many in that um, last Ottoman generation as Michael Providence calls it, um, or a couple of last Ottoman generations, I mean, they, they you know, um, live on into the interwar years um, and play a part in in uh, political life in the interwar years. Um, with the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, many of these figures um, shift towards either territorial nationalism, Lebanese or Syrian or Palestinian or Iraqi, um, or kind of towards an embrace of a broader um, Arab uh, nationalism or pan-Arabism. Um, so Salim Salaam um, is involved in these debates as a proponent of, um, you know, the union of lebanon and syria kind of you know lebanon becoming part of syria as a broader kind of you know syrian and arab entity uh, into the 30s um and then his um yeah um so definitely i mean that's one way in which kind of there are these continuities There are continuities in personnel um you know people kind of you know um the, the people who participate in politics in the late ottoman period don't simply kind of slink off into retirement with the end of the ottoman empire and then kind of a new generation takes over there's a kind of complete overhaul in personnel they continue to play a part in politics in the interwar years and equally you know people who are coming to the fore in the the 1930s um you know continue to play a part in political debates into the 40s and 50s um so somebody like constantine uh um you know the syrian political uh well syrian academic historian uh and and kind of political activist and philosopher you know he's He's very active in, in Arabist politics in the 1930s. Um, he writes The Meaning of Disaster in 1948, just after the first Arab-Israeli war, after the loss of Palestine, uh, You know, calling for a broader regeneration of um, Arab society, um, you know, technological innovation, scientific progress, uh, you know, the formation of the Arab subject. Um, but he also influences a, a whole generation of Arab nationalists who are active into the 50s and 60s. Uh, people like George Habash, Badya Hadad, um, you know palestinian activists who are active in arab nationalist politics in the 50s and then later on in the palestinian national movement in the 60s and 70s um and even you know further um so you know that speaks to kind of the ways in which um continuities in personnel and kind of personal interrelationships um you know feed into these these debates and feed into these kind of um these broader kind of movements um, and processes
0: at what point did it well it feels now it more focus on the the national rather than the than the the pan the pan arab or the levantine at what point do you think there was sort of that, that that break sort of the lessening interest between the groups and more the national interests that took over that's the feeling you have today
1: well i mean i think those years 36 to 58 are actually um, years or decades of a very uh, lively contestation around these ideas um, of um, well ideas of nationhood and ideas of nationalism and um, you know if you look at lebanon if you look at syria um, in lebanon kind of yeah um, very sharp debates around Lebanese sovereignty, and whether the Lebanon um, should be part of a greater uh, Syrian political entity should be part of a greater Arab entity. Um, you know, these debates, we uh, occur all the way through this period, I mean, 36 is one moment where they're kind of very, uh, you know, very much to the fore. Um, but again, kind of in, in 58, um, these debates kind of, you know, ret- return to prominence, um, and, you know, are driving kind of that short civil war in 1958. But then one of the things driving that short civil war in 58. Um, But in Syria, equally, kind of debates around, uh, you know, union with Iraq, union with Egypt. Um, So, you know, I think how to make sense of all of this. I mean, I I think, you know, in in popular discourse around uh, the Middle East, around the Levant, we often hear this idea of invented states and kind of the ways in which we hear about the ways in which Britain and France divided up former Ottoman lands into uh, colonial states. Uh, you know, in a sort of classic pattern of divide and rule. Um, I think, you know, to an extent that is clearly true, but I think um, it's important to bear in mind both the ways in which those borders were contested by some political actors um, who had a different kind of um, vision of what the polity would be, what the state would be, what the nation would be, but also the ways in which um, some political actors actually took these borders seriously and invested them with meaning, um, you know, um, and kind of invested Lebanon or Syria or Iraq or Palestine, and with a great deal of political meaning and kind of, you know, invested themselves in the nation and the national project. Um, so I think, yeah, in looking at this period of 36 to 58, I mean, that's one of the things to, to kind of think about and to keep in mind is the ways in which um, the political shape of things isn't quite settled, there are still these debates around where the borders of the nation should lie and these kind of tussles between territorial nationalism and a greater um, uh, Syrian or Pan-Arab sort of uh, nationalism. Um, but it, it's, but yeah, but 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 those debates are actually, I think, what make it interesting. One of the things that make that period interesting.
0: Thank you. It's a very interesting sort of set of observations and very thought-provoking.
1: Thanks a lot, Carol. I mean, I think, I mean, the, the only thing I suppose to say is that this is, really, a, I think, a really interesting moment for, for you know, as we were saying earlier, a really interesting moment for thinking through the historicity, historicity of uh, democracy in the region, kind of this longer history of um, uh, of debates around um, democracy and around political representation. Um, you know, I've mentioned the work of a few scholars already, um, people like Elizabeth Thompson, people like Ziad uh, Aboudish, um, but also, you know, the, the work of somebody like um, Matyouri, um, that I mentioned as well, the work of somebody like Laurie Allen. Um, all of these, you know, come to mind, and, and others. Um, so I think, you know, that that that's one thing to say is that I think, as I said earlier, I'm I'm by no means alone in in trying to revisit the political and intellectual history of these decades, um, and to look afresh um, at the history of the Levant and the Arab world in this period, um, and to try maybe to unsettle some of the um, you know, uh, commonplace, uh, narratives around kind of the history of the region, uh, and show the extent to which, you know, there were spaces for, um, political debate, and, um, there was a way in which people in the region took ideas of democracy and, uh, freedom and, and, um, uh, ideas of democracy and freedom. They took them, you know, deadly serious, um, in, in the period, um, invested them with a great deal of meaning. So it's by no means a history of failure or of, or of absence, is what I'm saying. Um, as for the book, um, hopefully in 2023, um, at some point in 2023, depending on how things go at my end and on um, yeah, um, where global global supply chains and <laughs> supplies of paper and ink <laughs> are like kind of um, what they do to the publishing process. But yeah, fingers crossed, uh, 2023. So yes, yeah, keep keep your eyes peeled, as they say.
0: Great. Right and good luck with finishing finishing that yeah thank you very much for your time today